Our star clubs are changing the rules of the game. Star clubs are going to be the backbone of new India. India has emerged as one of the top performers in the startup landscape, which is a reflection of the immense potential for innovation and dynamic entrepreneurship. Startups have scripted a new era of disruption in the country. We have taken a number of measures for startups and they have borne results. India is now the third largest ecosystem for startups globally and ranks second in innovation quality among middle income countries. We have all been in awe when we have read about startups reaching sky high valuations. Well, the taxmen have also followed the startup story closely and they have different plans. They brought startups a gift called the angel tax. Well, I was of course being facetious. This is not a gift, but a tax that startups have to pay when they raise funding at a valuation higher than the fair market valuation. Well, which is essentially a valuation which is fair in the eyes of the taxman. And the heavenly sounding name, the angel tax, is just an exercise in irony because startups and investors think it's the devil. And for several years, startups and investors have asked for the angel tax to be buried. But far from offering relief, this year the government did something that has angered and spooked investors in equal measure. In the union budget, the government decided to bring into the fold of the angel tax funds from foreign investors who were so far exempt from it. and this threatens to jeopardize the flow of billions of dollars of foreign capital into indian startups just for reference indian startups raised around 24 billion dollars last year of which 16 billion dollars came from foreign venture capital funds and private equity investors according to venture intelligence expanding the scope of the tax means big money for the government but it just cuts deeper into what is already a very sore point as startups are seeing a funding crunch it's friday the 24th of february i'm mugdha varia from et prime and on this episode of the morning brief we discuss what the angel tax is all about what the new amendment entails and why startups and investors are worried Angel tax has become a common term to refer to section 56 of the Income Tax Act. It was introduced in 2012 because the government suspected that anyone could turn black money into legitimate wealth by investing the money in unlisted startups at high valuations. So the government proposed to tax any investment into an unlisted company if it was made at a higher valuation than the fair market value. And effectively this tax could go up to as much as 30% of the total amount. Akhilesh Ranjan, who is formerly a member of the Central Board for Direct Taxes or CBDT and who is currently advisor for tax policy at PwC, says the provision was necessary to prevent money laundering. That was a time when there was a huge mass of shell companies being formed. with the sole purpose of rooting unaccounted funds the problem was so severe that a stringent provision like this had to be brought in to the income tax act the provision really essentially says that if you can't justify the valuation of a share on the basis of 
principles of valuation or on any other principles, then there is an excess amount which should be taxed somewhere, which is unaccounted. The provision did have an effect. It had an impact, although shell companies are still around, although these methods of, uh, of laundering are still around. But then it has had a fairly substantial impact. And 2017-18, when the startups really exploded in India, the startups were really hit very badly by this provision because they are typically enterprises which do not operate on any large value of assets or large employee strengths. They, they, they are surviving on, on ideas. So far, the angel tax was applicable only to shares issued by an unlisted startup to a resident investor. And the government had also carved out an exemption for venture capital funds registered with SEBI, which meant that the tax was mainly applicable to investments from individual investors who are commonly called angels in the startup ecosystem. And that's how the term angel tax came to be. While the term may imply that the tax is on the angel investors, it is actually the startups raising funding from these investors who have to pay the heavy tax. And this angel tax acts has left several startups bleeding, some to death. Nikunj Bubna, a Mumbai-based entrepreneur, had to face this angel tax demon a few years ago, which eventually led to the shutting down of his startup. There is not even an iota of uh, that incident that I've forgotten because in 2014, we had raised the round from pretty reputed high net worth individuals and uh, we were kind of taking off on our customer engagement platform. So I was building something called What's Extra, open plug and play customer engagement SaaS solution. And that was having about 441 retail stores live on it. So in 2017 was the first time where I call it, you know, the love letters from the taxman who said that, hey, you've raised the round and I think we don't agree with your valuation. We have to come and meet us. So I think it was simply, it started with that. So about four or five meetings had happened like that and things weren't getting resolved. So uh, the CA went in and explained that, okay, so and so is a startup, bona fide startup. So he was telling me that, you know, the taxman doesn't understand that why would an HNI, you know, who's got plenty of options to invest, why would somebody invest in an unlisted company when you've got so many options on the stock market to invest in? Why would somebody really invest money in an unlisted company at a high premium where the, there, there are no tangible hard assets? And I went to meet him with the explanation that, okay, this is our business model. This is what we are set to disrupt. And obviously they didn't understand all that. Then he had also started sending notices to my investors to come and, uh, you know, uh, share documents from their end, which is basically their tax return. My investors were called in for questioning. And imagine, I mean, we are living in a country where, you know, we have seen all these in movies where, you know, some tax man has come, they are raiding your houses and all that is happening. So we all were in that fear, uh, you know, that grip, fear grip that, okay, something like that can happen here also. Like they'll land up one fine day and they'll do raids and all that. This completely scared off Nikunj's investors. So we wanted to raise a round of capital at that point of time. I think it was not too much. Like we were trying to raise just four crores or something that time. And my existing investors were willing to put in the first 10% of it. So they said, first 10%, we will bankroll and you can raise the rest from external sources. Having said that, when they got to know about this, they just pulled back everything. I mean, they just cold feet and they just said, we are not doing anything of this sort. They said, nothing doing, boss. We are out of this. This is not what we signed up for. 
and i think naturally so i do empathize with their thought process because even i was very scared so 2018 was the period where we were still trying to do all the fights possible so yeah 2019 is where we had to shut shop because we were run out of option according to a local circles survey in 2019 over 73% of indian startups that had raised capital from angel investors had received angel tax notices from the income tax department then in 2019 the government carved out some exemptions letting startups registered with the department for promotion of industry and internal trade also called the dpiit seek exemption from the angel tax and since then the issue seems to have tempered down at least in the media but with the budget this year the ghost of the angel tax is back in an amendment as part of the finance bill the government has done away with the mention of a resident in that particular section of the income tax act sounds like a small simple change right well the implications of this amendment could be huge the amendment essentially could bring any foreign investment into unlisted startups in the country under the ambit of the angel tax this has spooked investors and startups especially at a time when the funding winter has gripped the startup ecosystem let's hear from siddharth pai who's founding partner at venture capital firm 314 capital and also the co-chair of the regulatory affairs committee at the indian venture capital association called ivca ivca has been actively engaging with the government on behalf of the startup and vc community siddharth tells us why this tax is so confusing and irksome to investors firstly it treats funds as income india is unique in the sense that we actually end up taxing a high share premium and actually end up considering that as income now the term income tax is a tax on income whereas a share premium is actually a capital receipt it's actually the form of capital that a company ends up issuing securities for so taxing a capital receipt as income is actually unique to india alone in the grander global fight against uh, black money money laundering etc and we've often seen indian startups actually bear the unintended consequences of this particular amendment itself Uh, when it's actually been misapplied to them. It was created in 2012. There wasn't much of an Indian startup ecosystem at that particular point in time. But from year 2016, 2017 onwards, a large number of the tax officials started noticing that Indian startups were actually raising money at exceptionally high premium. And because of that particular section, they started misapplying their section to all these people as of now, to all these startups. I don't personally consider this an angel tax. I actually consider this a capital tax. And to tax capital for a country that's actually been in a shortfall of capital is one of the most counterintuitive policies anyone could possibly conceive of. While Siddharth pointed out the issue in treating capital as income, the crux of the angel tax issue is actually in the valuation of a startup. Tax officials want startups to stick to a fair market value based on their calculations, which are done mostly through the discounted cash flow method in which a company is valued based on certain projected future cash flows that are then discounted at an appropriate rate. Or sometimes tax officials simply apply the net asset value method which essentially takes into consideration all of the company's assets even though tech startups usually have few but startup investors use their own processes to determine the valuation often this number is not up to the satisfaction of the assessing tax officer 
and tax officials seem to be unsettled by the huge valuation jumps startups have seen. So is this valuation mismatch really the cause of concern? This is what Siddharth Pai has to say. Valuation like beauty is actually in the eyes of the beholder. Unless you're actually putting down a check or you're cutting term sheet for that to justify the particular valuation, I personally don't believe anyone else has the right to question that valuation itself. But then is there a right way to value a startup? Who determines the fair market value? And how is it calculated? If you look at the way a startup or anyone ends up raising funding, for that matter, they always go to the market with a story, with their deck, with their business plan, with their metrics, attraction and everything. And then they end up seeking bids from the market. There are some investors who end up valuing a company at X, someone at point eight x someone at 3x, 4x, 5x, etc. So there is no science to the valuation that ends up actually coming about over there. The valuation is basically the summary of what one party believes the company is actually valued. And that's the price that they end up actually paying for that particular company itself. So having the tax department or someone actually cast a view on, on a valuation, I believe is actually entirely unjust. Look at the way the tax department has defined fair market value right now. It's either in the form of a discounted cash flow method that's actually done by right. a category one merchant banker. These companies don't generate cash for five, six, seven years of their operations. The office are generating fee cash flow using year eight or year nine. Will it be a DCF calculation is done? Any cash flows after year six or year seven because of the high discount rate actually become immaterial. So what you end up seeing is that these valuation reports end up actually becoming pieces of fiction that are being generated as of that particular point in time. You can't compare that to reality because reality for the startups change on a daily basis. They pivot, they change, they go into different business models, they run acquisitions and the like. So I think this sort of view would actually make sense for a steady state business, but for a high, for a fast-paced, high-growth startup, it bears no resemblance to reality at all. The gripe that many startups and venture capital investors have is that the taxman just doesn't understand how to correctly value a startup, what its growth potential could be, and that it could run into losses for several years. But Akhilesh Ranjan disagrees. I, I don't think it's it's fair to say that the tax department does not understand this or that they don't understand how startups operate. The point is that when the provision talks about valuation, then the valuation has to be according to certain accepted international methods. It typically happens that, that these estimates may be all very fair and reasonable. But then by the time the case comes up before a tax officer, the actual earnings and cash flow may come out to be different. So the tax officer uses the same method of valuation as has been used by the enterprise. But then since the figures have changed, he comes up with a different value. And that's the problem in this whole business of applying a method of valuation. There can be no one objective and absolutely standardized method which can deliver one particular result, whoever applies that method. There will always be an element of subjectivity in valuation. And that's, that's essentially the problem out here. So what happens when the tax officials don't agree with the startup's valuation? Mayapan Nagapan, who is a partner in the tax practice at law firm Trilegal, says the taxmen have often gone to court against startups. So 
they have tried challenging the valuation reports and they have not done their own calculations so much as to say that you know there are multiple valuation reports available or different values ascribed by the investors themselves within a very short period of time so for example if the company receives investment at a particular value and then suddenly within 3 or 4 months there is a significant increase in the valuation they tend to challenge that but courts have generally defended the position of the taxpayer and their freedom to choose which valuation method to adopt and they have also not allowed tax department to look behind what's happening in the valuation report so long as it's done on a scientific basis so only in limited circumstances we have seen the courts send it back for sort of you know revaluation in that sense or for the tax department to check whether the assumptions are right and whether the basis on which the valuation is arrived at is correct but not the valuation itself there have been several favorable rulings like mayapan pointed out the latest being the relief to hospitality company oyo on an over 1000 crore rupees tax demand for an investment that was made by the holding company into the subsidiary one of the asks of the industry is that the tax department allow internationally accepted standards of valuation to determine a startup's valuation but what are some of these methods siddharth cites a few examples so we look at the ipeb valuation guidelines international private equity valuation guidelines which award every venture capital and private equity fund across the entire world and so following they they have actually stated a whole host of valuation methodologies that can actually be adopted one of them is a comparable transaction method under the comparable transaction method they actually see if this startup is operating in this particular space in this geography at this stage what are the kind of transactions that are actually end up happening in the market over there itself based on those transactions they can actually justify whether the valuation of the company is appropriate or not the other part that you end up actually seeing in terms of these valuation methodologies actually the multiples method the multiples method is actually a multiple on one of the operating metrics that the company ends up having so the company has been in operation for a while maybe its basis the number of daily active or monthly active users they end up having so the revenue potential of all these particular markets all these particular metrics is is actually undertaken and then they end up calculating what the justifiable valuation actually ends up being then they are looking at the listed market comparables if a company is actually in let's say the ride hailing space they may look at the comparables of companies such as uber actually end up enjoying in the market itself so like this there are a whole host of valuation methodologies that people actually end up looking at some of them end up valuing the ip or the monetizable potential of their ip so like this depending on the scale depending on the size depending on the sector depending on a whole host of factors valuations are actually justified Another issue that could make matters more complicated is the dichotomy between FEMA, which is the Foreign Exchange Management Act, and the income tax rules. The conflict comes because under FEMA, an entity cannot offer shares to a foreign investor below a fair market value. Whereas under the Income Tax Act now, any investment above the fair market value is taxed as angel tax. So for investors and startups, this would mean finding that exact right fair market value what can this conflict lead to here's what mayapan has to say i think that is the challenge now or one of the challenges with this provision is that the 
valuation for FEMA purposes has to be at least at fair market value. And FEMA does not prescribe what valuation methodology you are required to follow. Whereas there is a prescribed one or two methods for tax and, you know, that puts the cap on what price at which you should be selling it at uh, unless you want to, you know, there's going to be tax consequences otherwise. So, and in and the market or commercial reality is that, you know, the commercial price at which parties transact is never perfectly at what is prescribed to be the fair market value. I mean, there are many ways to think about it. Again, one way is to maybe give a, a range within which, you know, even if there is a variance in the fair market value, or because of the difference in valuation methods adopted, right, either for FEMA purposes or for tax purposes, I think if that leeway is given, I think bulk of the problems may get resolved. Because I think the main risk with these different valuations is also that I think the purpose for which they are done is different for uh, FEMA purposes and for tax purposes. And uh, when there are multiple valuation reports, then that raises a concern that whether the valuation itself may get challenged. There is an urgent need to close the gap, Akhilesh feels. I think the solution really lies in a different way, not just in trying to find a valuation method. We have to try and reconcile, first of all, the difference between the valuations under FEMA and under, under the Income Tax Act. That's this problem always comes when the objective of a valuation rule is, is different. In FEMA, it's entirely different from the objective in the Income Tax Act. So the answer then, of course, has to be in a fresh, a separate rule of valuation, which makes it clear that it is for the purposes of this section or this provision and uh, takes into account the objective that it is trying to serve, builds in the safeguards uh, and, and, and which can, which should be there and, try and tries to make the rule and the mechanism as objective as possible. So, yes, I mean, it does need to be, if it doesn't, if it is not reconciled, if it is not clarified, then there will be confusion as to what method should we use. I mean, you use something else in FEMA, you use something else in, in income tax, but that's something which has to be made clear in the law itself. The government's stand on the matter so far is clear. Register with the DPIIT. The government has carved out some exemptions for startups. Essentially, startups have to be registered with the DPIIT, which means that the company has to be under 10 years old and should have turnover under 100 crore rupees. And then to be eligible for the angel tax exemption, they should have raised less than 25 crore rupees in funding. But do exemptions mean that startups have it easier? No. Ironically, the restrictions almost outweigh the benefits, mainly because startups eligible for the exemption are then restricted from even offering any salary advances or from creating a separate subsidiary. It's the case with Nikunj too, who is now worried about facing the angel tax issue again with his second startup. My new startup, I have already raised money from Rise. So they put in one round in my company in November 2021. So they happen in the category of foreign investors since they are non-residents. And now uh, when I saw that even they are coming under the ambit of angel tax, which was not the case earlier, I don't think government understands the fact that it has the collateral damage. You come up with the policy for some reason, but it has the collateral damage. The solution is far worse than the problem itself. They say that you cannot put in money in any shares or securities. So which means that if I have to acquire or acquire, which is very common these days now, you know, a small startup which has, let's say, you know, run its course and they want to come and merge with us. We cannot do that. We cannot do any acquisition or merger, anything of that sort. 
then they say you cannot put in money in mutual funds okay you have to only put in money in bank deposits so which means that if i have to put in money not in equity i'm not doing any speculation but i want to put in money in say debt market instrument or mutual fund you know the funding surplus i cannot do that so you are basically cutting my arms right but akhilesh ranjan has a different view i think uh, the government or the dpiit and the cbdt would be very willing to make whatever modifications are required in that declaration the idea of the declaration is that the money that is coming in should be for the startup's own use it should not be a channel for routing that fund to some other purpose somewhere and these things can i think i'm sure can be sorted out uh, i know loans and advances are, are are a bit of a problem because you can loans can mean a loan of 500 rupees to an employee also but then these are all issues of detail which can be which can be sorted out and should be sorted out if they have not been done so as yet So what does all this mean for the future of the startup ecosystem? Will this scare off foreign investors and make the capital crunch even more severe for startups? So this particular amendment once if it does passes in its current form when the parliament actually reconvenes and uh, becomes a law of the land will actually go live from April 1st 2023 onwards. So what that means that everyone's trying to complete their rounds of funding before March 31st 2023. In case you end up getting extended and the government does not actually exempt certain classes of investors what you'll end up seeing is all the rounds that have been completed so far will actually end up going to a fresh round of negotiations amongst everyone trying to actually walk that tightrope between fema which where that they can't be issued less than fair market value and the income tax act where it says it can't be issued more than the fair market value means that the fair market value becomes a sole determinant the question that people need to ask is which is the one true valuation of the company there is no right answer to that and uncertainty is actually the anathema of capital it's already a funding winter it's already exceptionally hard for startups to end up raising capital right about now and given the fact that there are still massive global dislocations that are going on adding another tax wrinkle to this is not going to engender confidence with any sort of investor and will this lead to exodus in fact conversations have already begun across boardrooms right now where they're saying that look in case this rule does not see end up getting changed why don't you look at actually relocating your startup or actually flipping overseas there are a large amount of sovereign wealth funds large amount of pension funds that are also actively looking to invest into india under this particular change that is proposed by the government by the tax department as of now all of them their investments into indian startups should also expose these indian startups to this particular income tax liability so i think the unintended consequences of this are actually massive is this one word that's been replaced in the act i think the consequences are going to be huge not just for startups for the matter for the entire fdi space in india this is a concern that akhilesh shares as well the foreign investors would certainly be a bit concerned about what is going to happen of course the tax liability will not be attached to them it will be fastened on 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 the indian enterprise which receives the money so in a way uh, the foreign investor is away from the tax part of it but even then it can it can lead to hassles to compliance issues to reporting uh, requirements so that's why the foreign investors could be a bit concerned about it i think the government must address those concerns try and as i said may make this valuation methods more objective as far as possible currently there seems to be some confusion and a lot of concern in the startup industry around the angel tax an urgent ask of the industry now is that the government carve out exemptions for certain classes of foreign investors including foreign portfolio investors and foreign venture capital investors who are registered with sebi companies listed on stock exchanges recognized by the international organization of securities commission as well as 
for regulated private equity funds, venture capital funds, hedge funds, among others. Tax experts like Akhilesh and Mayapan have also pointed out that the government needs to modify older circulars by the DPIIT and the CBDT on the angel tax, which still stand and which had given exemptions to foreign investors. The government has defended the move to expand the scope of the angel tax, stating that it brings parity between foreign and domestic investors. Well, it's the parity nobody wanted not domestic investors, nor foreign ones. And like Nikun said, India's startup story could end up being collateral damage. It could lead to more startups moving the headquarters overseas in a phenomenon that has now come to be called flipping. In fact, the government itself, in the economic survey released a day before the budget, pointed out the issue of flipping of startups and said the flip can be reversed by simplifying multiple layers of tax and removing uncertainty due to tax litigation. And as experts on this show have highlighted, the new amendment could open up startups to more tax troubles. Will the government budge? Or will we see more startups fleeing to friendlier shores? That's all in this episode. And thank you for tuning into this podcast brought to you by The Economic Times. With show producer Sumit Pandey, sound editor Rajas Nayak, and executive producers Anupriya Bahadur, Anirban Chaudhary, and Arijit Barman. We hope you like this episode and do share it on your social media networks. The Morning Brief drops every Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. The Morning Brief is now streaming on Amazon Prime Music and GeoSavan, apart from Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And of course, on ET's own audio platform, ET Play. All clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners. <laughs>